almost uh, 25 plus years now, uh, Ken Luther. Uh, as many of you know, Ken was here and uh, held Celebrate Recovery for us for about five years, uh, then went to Pastor Oasis Church and served them faithfully. He and Kat there for five plus years, I believe. And when I heard, uh, you know, he'd shared with me how the Lord had told him that that season had closed. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I don't, I don't really know. And I just felt in my heart, I said, until you know, just come over here and be with us. I, I, and he said, what? I said, I, there's no job, but just come. I'll hire you. Just come over part-time. There's no expectation. I just want you around. And here's what I know. I want to be a blessing to him and Kat, but everything he and Kat touches is going to be better in this church. And so if you see him around, I'm hoping it's a decade or so. The last person I hired like that was Beth White. She was with us about 11 years. So I'm hoping Ken and Kat, I would say grow old with me, but Ken and I are already old, so I can't do that. And it is my joy this morning. If you've not uh, sat under the ministry of Ken Luther, you are going to be moved uh, this morning by his genuineness, uh, his transparency, and the anointing of God on his life. And it's a great privilege of mine to introduce my brother and friend, Ken Luther. Am I on? Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you, John. Um, before I begin this morning, I, I wanted to take an opportunity to, again, uh, thank our church, uh, especially those of you who participated in the work that was done on our house. You just reached out to us and uh, gave us a gift. You did something for us that we weren't able to do for ourselves, and I don't know that we've communicated properly just how grateful we are to you for, for your love and for your grace that you gave us in our life. We appreciate that so much. And I wanted to share to Christ Chapel this morning that um, what a blessing it is because when we stepped down from Oasis Community, it wasn't actually something we really wanted to do. It was just God's leading. And when we stepped down, we didn't know. I don't know where. We didn't know where we would go. We took two Sundays off. I felt guilty. I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to go to church. But we took two Sundays off, and then our first Sunday, we went to church. We came to Christ Chapel, and it fit. And it just felt to, my, to Kat and I both that we're home. And John talks about the, uh, the motto, uh, win the lost, disciple the found, mend the broken, send the whole. And, and we lived that out in our life here. And I said, we're going to have to add another one. We'll take you back again sometimes, too. <laughs> So we're glad to be back, and we just want you to know how much we love you. And I wanted to tell also the Wednesday night Bible study crowd. John uh, blessed me, allowed me to teach Wednesday night Bible study, and you all were such an incredible encouragement to me. You really were, and, and I love you, and I look forward to being able to teach more in the future after the summer's over. So I just wanted you to know as well how much I love you and the staff that y'all have allowed me to come and just be a small part and just sit in and hang out with you guys. It's been a tremendous blessing and an incredible encouragement to me, and I want you to know that I love you. Let's pray. God, this morning I just ask you to intervene. Remove me out of the way, Lord. Let no one see me, but let us leave today seeing who you are. God, we just give this time to you. Open our 
the eyes of our heart. Open our spiritual ears to hear what you have to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. John asked me to share my story, and so I've shared my story on a lot of different occasions, and it, it always still hurts. My story is a tough story to tell, and God has given my wife and I the grace to be open, to share some very difficult things, to share some very hard sins that are part of our life. And I always like to give this disclaimer. Just because God has given us the grace to share intimate details about our family does not mean that he called you to do that. God's given us an incredible grace to be able to do that. And, and I'm going to do some, share some hard things this morning. And, and I just pray that you sense God's presence in this. I pray that you hear his voice. I'm going to start from the beginning. What I'm going to do is give you just a quick overview of my testimony, and then I want to dig deeper into some things. Um, my mom, Miss Juanice Luther, is here today. She's 83 years old. And my sister Donna is with her. My mom's physical limitations makes me know that she got up. It took more energy for her to get up and come to church this morning than it takes for me to get up every morning in a week. But my mom was going to come hear her baby this morning. That's right. She wasn't going to miss hearing her baby. And God has blessed me with an incredible parents. I was born into the family of four kids. I was the baby. And my sister has always tried to steal my birthright. I'm not just the baby boy. I am the baby. I'm my mama's baby. And we had a wonderful family, and we grew up, and I grew up in a, the era of the 60s. I had older brothers and sisters in the 70s, and um, my life was influenced by the, the, late, uh, the late great um, Greg Allman, who just passed away, and we just buried. And, and so that was all a part of my life growing up. I was a little hippie to begin with, and then I was a southern rock guy and, and all of that era. But unfortunately for me, I kind of pursued, rather than appreciating the brilliance of the music, I pursued the darker side of the music industry. And at a young age, I began to dabble with drugs and things like that. In my neighborhood, kids had drugs all the time. We started smoking marijuana when I was like 10 years old in the fourth grade. And I can't even imagine that now. Uh, one of my kids being doing that at that age. And so we grew up, and, and I actually discovered at a young age that drugs was a great escape for me. I could smoke marijuana and just forget about all the issues I had in life, and, and I loved using drugs. And so that became a real part of my life. And so then I grew up, and I was an athlete. I loved playing football. Unfortunately, I never got bigger than 150 pounds in high school, so I couldn't go too far with that. But I was an athlete, and I loved to party. And the best thing that ever happened to me happened to me when I was in high school. The summer between my junior and senior year, uh, my dating life wasn't too good, and I had asked a buddy to set me up with someone, and he said, well, I know somebody I think you might like. Her name's Cat Williams. And so I went to church to meet this Cat Williams girl, and I was sitting in the car, with my buddy waiting on her to show up and I saw somebody else walking across the parking lot and I said forget cat who's that he said that is cat I'm like oh okay and so she got her cat claws in me right from the get-go man and and I met her that night and we started dating and we've been together ever since and she 
really is, as you'll hear later, one of the greatest gifts that God's ever given to me in my life. Kat and I dated through high school and went into college, and then Kat got pregnant. And we were in love and had planned on getting married in the future, and so we decided to go ahead and get married. We did. And we had a little boy named Benjamin, and it was born. And so here I was, a 20-year-old kid with a wife, with a baby, without a job, still loved to party, still loved to do all the things that I'd ever done, didn't have a clue about life or being a husband or being a father. And how we survived those years, I, I really don't know, but we, we, we did somehow. I know we moved to Florida, and I continued to party, have a party lifestyle, and do all those things. And, and, uh, but something happened when we were in Tallahassee. We lived in Tallahassee, and I've got a brother-in-law named Philip who is a very strong-willed person. And, and Phil got excited about who Jesus was, and he started telling me all about Jesus. And he wouldn't leave me alone. It was one of those deals where when I saw him coming, I'd go the other way. But it was always Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I was so sick and tired of him hear, hearing him talk about Jesus because I didn't want anything to do with Jesus because it was going to mess up my lifestyle that I was living. But even through all of that, how aggravating he was, there's power in the name of Jesus. We sang about it this morning. We did, and he annoyed me so bad. And so, but the name of Jesus just stuck in my heart, and I began to think about who Jesus was. And he took me to a conference one night in Tallahassee, and I gave my life to Jesus that night. I remember calling my mom and telling her, Mama, finally I just turned everything over to him and found out that my mom and a bunch of ladies were praying for me while I was at this conference, and they didn't even know I was at the conference. And that's how powerful God is. And so I've got this newfound faith. I found this Christian life. And my wife and I moved back to Warner Robins because we had two kids now, Ben and Derek. And we needed to be near mom and daddy. How many of you know mom and daddy's good babysitters? Yes. And so we came back to Warner Robins and I had this newfound faith. And I had this newfound excitement about Jesus. And uh, we moved back and we started looking for a church. And I grew up in a very conservative Baptist church where if you raise your hands, you probably weren't a Christian. <laughs> Kat grew up in this very conservative Methodist church, and God kept taking us to this Pentecostal church called Faith Assembly of God. And we, we, we were like, certainly God doesn't want us to go there. I mean, these people, are, they're really charismatic. They all pray at the same time. They pray in languages that we've never heard before. But God confirmed that this is where I want you. And so we started going to church at Faith Assembly of God. And I began to hear the pastor there, Pastor Chuck Morris, who was tremendous, teach things that I'd never heard taught in Scripture before. And, and I became hungry for more of the things of the gift of the Spirit. I became hungry for the Word of God. And I've, I can remember as a young Christian sitting at night, I would read the Bible. And sometimes I would just feel him. I would read something. And it's like there would be his presence. And sometimes I would stay up and I'd say, God, I'm not going to go to bed till, you, till I feel you. I'm not going to go to bed. Sometimes I think he said, well, here, just so I'd go to bed and go to sleep. But I also became very interested in the gifts. Ooh, sorry about that. 
not going to break your glass, John. So I became interested in the gifts. I was like, God, I want more of you. And I began to pray about this tongues thing. And I was like, and so I started reading scripture. I'm like, God, if that's for me, I'd like that. And I began to pursue this gift and just praying for it. And many times I went to the altar and, you know, in Pentecostal church, sometimes they'll come up, they'll try to coax you into things and they'll shake you and do whatever and get you. One lady would say, you see those funny little words in your head? Just speak them. Just say them. Don't want to say them. And I remember rolling my eyes and the pastor went, okay, we're done. But we had an evangelist come to the church, and I can't remember his name, but he was going to be teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I heard God speak to me. He said, fast. I didn't know what fasting was. All I knew about fasting was you don't eat. And so I didn't eat anything the rest of that night. The next day I got up, I went to work. I didn't eat anything. And we had a service that night, and, and I was so hungry. I remember I was so hungry. And so I go to church, and, and the guy preaches a message. I don't remember what he preached, but at the end, he said, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come to the front. And so I walked down front, and the pastor walked up to me, and it was like he was going to put his hand on my head, but he never touched me. And all of a sudden, whew, God just poured himself all over me, and I began to praise him. I never felt anything and a language I'd never heard before began to roll off of my lips. And it was the most beautiful experience. And my wife had also was pursuing the same thing. And God had baptized her. And she had spoken in tongues at a conference that she was at. And we needed to tell her parents. And I'll never forget being over at their house. And Kat was so nervous. But her granddaddy was there. And he was old shouting Methodists from way back. They believed in the move of the Holy Spirit. They did. And Kat said, I've got something I want to tell you, but she's having a hard time. And Paul Paul Patch, you remember Paul Paul Patch? That's what we called him because he took the grandbabies way down yonder in the Paul Paul Patch. He looked at her and said, did you speak in tongues? She said, yes, sir. He went, well, praise God. He said, don't you ever be ashamed of anything God does in your life. Don't ever be ashamed of the gift that he pours out in your life. Share it with everybody. Speak in tongues all you want because he gave you that gift and it's beautiful. And so those were the kinds of things that God was doing in our life. And, and I was growing in the Lord. And then one day I was driving in my car and I turned right on a highway and I heard God speak to me again. He said, I've called you to preach my word. And I was like, whoa, I can speak in tongues, I can, but preaching? No, 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 no. And I really began to wrestle with this call that I heard in my life. And I began to talk to other pastors about it. And they weren't real encouraging. They were like, you think so? Okay, we'll see. And so I really got discouraged about pursuing the ministry. And then this evangelist came to our church, and his name was John Wood. And I met John, and I thought, you know what, uh, I've let, hit a lot of roadblocks with this pastor thing. I think I'll just share with this guy, because I, I, like I like what he has to say. And so I shared with him about the call. Oh, boy, that was it. John took me under his wing. He's like, you got to start praying, praying that God will open doors for you to go preach. And then he comes to church, and he has me, he's bought me this big black King James Bible, and he says, here, you need this. And I began, and so I had that Bible, and I still have that Bible, John, and I love it, and I've used it a lot. 
And so God did begin to open doors, and I went and preached in churches where churches that didn't have a pastor, and, and God was blessing me. And then Pastor John came, and he invited Kat and I. He said that God was calling him to start a church, and he invited us to come and be a part of that. And so we came on. We were Pastor John's first staff members. He didn't have a clue what he was doing, and I certainly didn't have a clue what I was doing. But we began to do it anyway, right? And, and uh, But about six months into that journey, something began to happen in my life, and it's like my life began to fall apart. The stress of working a full-time job and helping on staff of a church and all that goes into that. Um, what happened was one day my sons asked me to go outside and throw a football with them, and I reluctantly went out and I threw the football and I began to shake all over and started having chest pains. I thought I was having a heart attack. And I'm only about 28 years old. I'm not that old. And so it scares me to death and I go to the doctor to get checked out and they run all these tests, blah, 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 do all this stuff and go back in and the doctor says, there's nothing physically wrong with you. He said, you were on the verge of a mental breakdown. And if something don't change in your life, you're going to have one. And I didn't know what to do. And the only thing I knew to do, the only, I couldn't quit my job. And I went to Pastor John and said, i got to step down. I just can't do this anymore. And that was one of my great disappointments in my life. I remember crying all the way home. And the hurt from that became just really difficult for me to deal with. And I began to blame myself. I tried to blame Pastor John. I tried to blame anything and everything that I could. And finally, it came to a point that I just blamed God. I was like, God, you did this to me. Why did you, why did you send me there? And I seriously felt like that God had set me up and pulled the rug out from under me and embarrassed me in front of everyone. And I became really angry with God. And I became bitter with God and I began to walk away from God and I began to walk away from church and you know what when you walk away from God and you get out from under the covering of church you end up going back to what you know you will I discovered that church was the only thing that was really keeping me afloat and so I took myself out from underneath that covering and in my anger in my disappointment in my bitterness I met a lady at work, and I had an affair with her. Greatest mistake I've ever made in my life. And during that time, I was also introduced to the drug methamphetamine. And I made the second greatest mistake of my life in using that drug. And after using it one time, I was addicted and hooked, and I couldn't quit. I got out of the relationship I was in, but I couldn't let go of the drugs and over a period of two and a half years I really battled that drug addiction really battled relationship issues with my wife and with my family long story short with this is that at the end of that I found myself broken and in little pieces I had nothing left to give I was a mere skeleton at 130 pounds I looked in the mirror and all I saw was death and I knew that if I went on any longer, I wouldn't survive. But God, in his grace, allowed me to become a broken man who had nothing to give. God sent me, allowed me, 
the privilege of becoming a part of a recovery program. When my wife and I got back together, she laid down some rules. One of them was I had to be in recovery. And so I went to recovery group, and God met me there. God blessed me there. God gave me the things that I needed to quit just using drugs, but he met me there and began to change me from the inside out. God began to restore me and reconcile me to him and to my wife and to my church and to my family. He did an incredible work in me. And then God, as I was sitting in my recovery group, he said, this is what I want you to do. And so we came to Christ Chapel and we began a Celebrate Recovery ministry that we did for five years upstairs. And I see some people here this morning that were part of that ministry. There are people that were part of that ministry that were a part of our church at Oasis. And God did a tremendous work in that. And God began to reestablish me in ministry. And then after we had been there for five years, this church called Oasis uh, called me and asked if I would come to speak. And I did. And they asked me to come back and speak some more. And, and eventually they asked me if I would go there and be a pastor. And, and I did. And for six and a half years, we pastored at Oasis Community. And, and, and just this past year in January, God spoke to us. It was time to step down. It's not something we wanted to do. It was a scary time because we didn't know where we were going to go or where we were going to land. But we stepped down, and here we are today at Christ Chapel. And so I shared that with you briefly because that's an outline of my story. And um, as when Pastor John asked me to share my story, I've shared my testimony so many times, and I started thinking, what really is my story? You know, all the things that you hear me share about my unfaithfulness, about my drug addiction, those are some incredible, those are hard things to share. And those are some terrible sins that are in my life. But what I've discovered is those things aren't going to remain. Those things are going to pass away. God's covered those things with his blood. And so are those things really my story? Oh, they're part of my story in this life. But I've discovered that in order for me to tell you my story, I've got to tell you about the incredible things that Jesus has done in my life because those are the things that are going to remain forever. So this morning, let me get into this. To tell you my story, i got to tell you about God's mercy in my life. He's been so merciful to me and has saved me from so many things. From the very beginning, God has kept me. When I lived in Florida with Kat when we were married, I went missing one time for about three days. My brother-in-laws had no clue where I was at. They called the police, I think reported me missing, and they called my mom to break the news to her that I was probably maybe dead somewhere. And they called my mom, and they were surprised that my mom didn't seem shocked at all. She didn't seem really concerned. She just was like, well, he'll come around eventually. And even through my drug addiction, when everyone else was freaking out about me, my mom had this calm assurance about her. Now, I never knew what I'm about to share with you until about two years ago. And I asked my mom, I said, Mama, back when they thought I was dead, you weren't worried about it. It's like, and during my drug addiction, you just had this calm assurance that everything was going to be okay. Why is that? And she told me. She said, because when you were a baby, you got really sick and they gave you penicillin, you had an allergic reaction to it. She said, we didn't know 
They didn't know if you were going to make it through the night or not. There's a 50-50 chance whether you would live or not. And my mom told me that she went to chapel at that hospital. And as she was praying for me, God spoke to her and told her that I would be a preacher one day. And she said, and I knew that you had not been a preacher yet. And my mom's here this morning because as I speak, she hears the promises of God being fulfilled in her ears. That's my Jesus. That's how merciful he is to me. And he's kept me through all those years. I am a product of God's promises to a godly woman. In the midst of my addiction, God protected me. I was pulled over by the Byron Police Department. Anybody know about the Byron Police Department? They don't play. I had had at least a 12-pack of beer. I had 10 $100 bags of meth in one pocket and an eight ball of meth in the other. And if I had been arrested seven years minimum in prison for trafficking, I would have only gotten out of prison five years ago. Some way, somehow, that cop looked at me four or five times and said, you have a good night, Mr. Luther. I think they would probably be angry if they heard that story right now and disappointed. But they didn't have a choice because there was something else at work that night. That just wasn't what was supposed to be a part of my life. And I'm so thankful that God was merciful to me in that. He gave me a family who wouldn't give up on me. Isaiah said of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not put out. And I view my life like that bruised reed. You can see a reed coming up out of the water, and it may be bruised on this side. And I just see God's hand around that and holding me up like a reed until I found the faith to be healed. Or like that candle. You know, when you blow out a candle, you still see the little red, and then whoop, then the smoke goes. Well, I can just see my life like that little red that's about to go out, but Jesus just fanned it just enough to keep it going until I could find the faith to get it lit again. And that's how Jesus has been so merciful to me. I think of many of the people that we've lost to drug addiction. Even recently, Blair Chambly, we lost her. Beautiful 25-year-old girl and others that we have lost that were part of our recovery group to addiction. And sometimes I think, why them and why not me? Why did God spare me and my life? And you know, that makes me realize just how precious the life that I have really is. If you want to know how precious that life is, go ask the families of those people who didn't make it. And I don't have an answer as to why, but I do have a response to it. I don't want to waste that life for the sake of those who mourn over those that, did, that were lost. I don't want to waste that. I want to use it for God's glory. I want to do something amazing with it that has an eternal purpose to it. So God's been really merciful to me, and I can't tell you my story without telling you about how much God loves me. God loves Ken Luther. I didn't always know that, and I didn't always believe that, but he does. God would visit me in my worst moments. I can remember being in a bad place. Let's just put it that way. And I found myself in a back room by myself, and I felt God's presence. I'm standing 
I'm standing there, and I just sensed God's presence. I knew his presence because I'd felt it so much in the past. And I literally turned my head and put my hand out, and I said, don't do that. Not here, not now, don't do that. And it's like God just said, okay, but I just want you to know that I'm still here, and I want you to know that I still loved you, that I still love you. God loved me through people. Pastor John loved me. He, he spoke truth to me, and he loved me gently as well. A lot of people don't like you to speak truth. They call you a hater if you speak truth. No, you need to speak truth. You need to tell people what's what. But you can do it gently. One day, I was living with my mom. Kat and I were separated. And people were calling me left and right, giving me the what for, telling me what I need to do, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I didn't want to hear it. I just didn't want to hear it anymore. And literally, I said, the next person that calls me, I'm cussing them out. I heard the phone ring, and I heard my mom answer the phone, and she says, Ken, is Pastor John Wood? I said, oh, Lord, I got to cuss out Pastor John. It probably wouldn't have been the first time, but it was. But I answered the phone, and I said, hello. And he said, and I had not talked to John in probably a year. And he said, Ken, I, I, you know, I don't know what's going on, but all I know is every time I pray, you come to my mind. And I want to call, is there anything I can do for you? And that just opened the door for me to be able to share with John what was going on in my heart and in my life. And so God just loved me through my pastor in that way. He loved me through Tom and Bonnie Wilson. They just were able to love me right where I was, just like I was, without any expectations. And their love for me continues today as they led this, this uh, doing our house and redoing our house. And they just continued to love me. And they, their love for me was just an amazing gift that God gave to us. We were loved by Felicia Daniels, who prayed and prayed and prayed with power and prayed in the spirit and prayed and prayed some more and got on the phone with me and prayed for me over the phone and continued to pray and pray and pray. And those of you that know Felicia know exactly what I'm talking about. She prayed and prayed and God loved us through her as she prayed with Kat. Leanne Nichols and the worship team at that time was Kat's support and life system. They were her church during that time and how they prayed over us and God loved us through them. So all of this that I just told you about is just an incredible expression of God's love through something that he calls the church. And I can tell you this morning that the church has been alive and well in my life and it's still alive and well in the lives of people. God loved me through my kids. My older children would defend me, and they believed in me, and they knew that their daddy was going to break through this thing and win this thing, and they wouldn't let other people talk about me or condemn me. And then we have another son named Clay who was born 11 years later after the other ones. And one day I came home. Clay was a little boy, about three, four years old. I can't remember how old he was. Cat's going, no. I get the times messed up. Anyway, he was across the street playing, and, uh, and I came up to the house to visit, and I saw him across the street. And any time I'd ever called him to come home, I'd have to threaten him with his life to get him to come home. But this day, I said, Clay. And he 
hurdled the fence and he sprinted across the street. And he grabbed me and wrapped his arms around my neck and he held me and he wouldn't let go of me. And that day, I had the thoughts like, oh my God, what have I done? What is it that I'm about to lose? And God used my son just to open my eyes to what I was doing and what was going on in my life. God didn't love me more through people than he did through my wonderful wife, Kathy. I didn't hurt anybody like I hurt her. But she loved me anyway. She loved me with a tough love. Kat is as sweet and gentle natured as anyone that you'll ever meet. But she has a stubbornness and a grit about her that you wouldn't believe. And thank God that she does. And she drew a tough line in the sand with me. She said, this is how things are going to be. We are not living like that. And if you want to be with me, you're going to have to change. And she meant it, and she stood on it. She loved me, but she didn't love me more than what she loved Jesus. Somebody needs to mark that down. She loved me, but she didn't love me more than what she loved Jesus. I thought that without me that she would be a mess. But instead, what I saw was her growing in her faith through it all. And that kind of messed me up. All of a sudden, I realized that she was going to be okay with me or without me. And she wanted me, but she didn't want me like I was. But she did love me, and she also loved me with a tender love. I know this sounds crazy, but the one thing that helped me overcome my addiction was strawberries. I don't know why. With methamphetamine, there is just an incredibly strong craving that I can't even begin to define to you what it is like. And I found one thing that would curb the craving when I was coming out of my addiction. Frozen strawberries. After Kat and I got back together, she always made sure I had plenty of frozen strawberries in the freezer. And another thing, when you're overcoming an addiction for a long period of time, you almost don't feel things. And there was one thing that really touched me is when she would scratch my back. And every night she would make sure I had my strawberries. And every night when I'd go to bed, she would lay there and she would caress and scratch my back until I fell asleep. And she did that in spite of all that I had done to her. Kat loved me with a believing love. Because there were many people that said, you must divorce him. You have got to divorce him. You have got to leave him. You have got to get away from him. But Kat prayed. And she tells a story that one day out on the front porch, God spoke to her and said, I'm not finished with you and Kat, with you and Ken yet. And she held on to that. And in spite of people demanding her leaving me, she believed for me. And we saw God restore our marriage. God's did an incredible work in our family. And I can't imagine not having my beautiful wife. In July of last year, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Scariest thing that's ever happened because I can't imagine my life without her. And God has been good to us. God has, God, she has come through her treatment, through her surgeries, and she is cancer free. She just, yes. <laughs>
She had her final surgery not long ago. And so we're on the last leg of this journey. And God's, we're going to grow old together. And I, I can't wait to get older together. But through this, I, I look back and I see how she ministered to me. And she loved me. And she provided for me through all of my addiction, through all the craziness. And as she went through her cancer treatment, it was almost like God gave me the opportunity to love her in a similar way that she loved me. I loved, I found joy in serving my wife as she went through this treatment. I made every appointment, not out of duty, but I wanted to be there. I wanted to be a part. Other people would offer to go and take my place and to give me a break. I'm like, I don't need a break. I want to be with her. I, want, I let Bonnie go with her one time, but yeah. But I wanted to be with her, and this was my incredible privilege. And I want my wife to know in front of everyone, I was so privileged to be able to serve you. I'm so thankful for the life we have together, what God's done in our life. He's been so good to us. And I want you to know how much I love you this morning. I can't tell you my story without telling you about the incredible hope God's given me. The hope that I found in God's forgiveness, that he would forgive me of the terrible things I've done. I mean, I committed adultery. I was a drug addict and all these things. And God forgave me. And when he forgave me, that allowed me to allow him to forgive me for all of those other sins in my past that I'd been holding on to for all these years. And when God forgave me, he forgave me of everything. And set me free. It's given me a hope that I can live a pure and a holy life before him. I'll tell you about the hope I found in God's word. When I went to the 12-step program, thank goodness I was in a Christ-centered 12-step program. Jesus is our higher power, and there is no other higher power other than him. And the 12 steps are simply fundamental truths that you find from God's word. And I discovered that as I began to apply God's word into my life, God began to change and transform me. A simple one. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. I shared all of my sins to another guy. He shared his with me. We began to pray for one another, and God started healing us. Guess what? God's word is true. And it is simple. And all he asks us is to put it into practice in our lives. And God's word began to give me an incredible hope. I came to the place that I said, God, this is it. If your word says it, I believe it, that's it. Nothing else. I even stopped reading books. Well, I can't read any more of these books, God, because I'm trying to interpret Scripture from what that book said rather than interpreting that book from what Scripture said. And so God had me just make the foundation of my life be His word, and I found hope in that. I found hope just simply in obedience. As I was obedient, God said, do celebrate recovery. I said, okay. He opened up the door. We did it for five years we brought the celebrate recovery ministry the idea to pastor andy when we were here and and we showed it to him i didn't think he would do it but he said okay i said let's look at this so celebrate recovery you've got to go out to california to saddleback church to train for this thing we're going to fly you out there and do this thing and i went what and pastor andy looked at me and he said ken we believe in you i'd never it'd been years since i'd heard anybody say that to me what I know now is it wasn't really me that he believed in, but he believed in the God that he saw working in my life. 
and change in my life. And he had a vision that was beyond today. He saw something in the future. And today you see the product of that vision in our lives. Yes. And then God called us to Oasis Community. And that was a difficult thing because I didn't want to leave my Celebrate Recovery people and go to another church. But you know what? It's, God said... And we, we knew God wants to go to Oasis. And we're like, how do we do this, God? And, he, and all God spoke to me was, do it quickly. So I think in two weeks, we were gone. And so I was nervous about sharing it with our Celebrate Recovery people. But when I did, they all stood up and clapped and were joyful and excited for us. And it was just like God's perfect timing. And then when we stepped down from Oasis, we didn't know where we were going to go. But once again... It was God's perfect timing. And here we are. And today, I am as sure I am right where I'm supposed to be as much as I've ever been sure of anything in my life. Because I know God's hand is on our life. It is so evident that he is. I can't tell you my story without telling you about the freedom that God's given me. The freedom from shame from all the shameful things that I've done. God will not let me bow my head in shame every time he goes, uh-uh, boy. Lift it up because you're forgiven. About the freedom that he's given me from fear so that I can pursue him without any hesitation. Because I know that my life and my ministry is not dependent on me, but it's dependent on his anointing. And he's got his hand on our life. God's given, us free, given me freedom from all kinds of sin, and he continues to give us freedom as he leads us away from the sins that are in our lives. I can't tell you my story without telling you about God's grace. The world will put labels on you. Labels for me is one is unfaithful husband. And what the world will tell you about that is once a cheater, always a cheater. I heard those words and. They tried to stick to me. I have the label of drug addict. And the world will tell you, once an addict, always an addict. But God declares me forgiven. God declares me whole. God says I am faithful because of who I belong to. All because of what Jesus has done for me. I think I'll hold on to God's declarations about me rather than the labels that the world tries to put on me. Ben, could you guys come up? My wife and I were able to attend a grace conference a couple years ago that was led by one of my favorite pastors, Jim Cimbala from the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And we went to this grace conference, and about the second day into it, I realized that they hadn't really taught anything about grace. At that time, I had some people coming into our church who were, had some strange teachings about what grace is and what grace isn't. And they were part of this hyper-grace movement that was going on and the stuff that they were saying just didn't line up with what I understood about scripture and so I was looking forward to getting this solid foundational teaching and the second day in I realized they're not teaching me about grace I'm like what's going on all of a sudden it hit me I went oh they're not teaching us about grace they're showing us what grace is 
in the lives of people. And God spoke to me. He said, Ken, grace is not a doctrine. Oh, I know. There, there is a doctrine about grace. And we need to be sound and solid in that doctrine. But grace is not a doctrine. Grace is a reality of the things of heaven in the lives of a believer. It's something you can see. And it's something that you can witness in people's lives. And so, in the same way this morning, my prayer is that today you wouldn't just hear a story or hear who Ken is, but rather that you would see who Jesus is in our lives. That my story is simply to tell about the incredible things that Jesus has done for me. That's my story. And Ben's going to play this song this morning. And as he plays, if you're here this morning and you understand the incredible mercy of God in your life like I do, and you see how merciful he's been to you and how precious that gift is of life, let it bring a new praise into your heart new praise into your life. I invite you to stand up and just worship him for the mercy that he's given you. Maybe this morning you're really battling with which way to go. You're at a crossroads of decision. You know that you need to walk with God, but the world is tempting you. Maybe it's another man or another woman. Maybe it's a drug. Maybe it's something. Choose Jesus this morning. And maybe this morning, this whole Jesus thing is completely foreign to you. But I know that God's touched your heart today. And just like he drew me to Jesus through someone who was annoying, this morning he can draw you because there's power in his name. And I would invite you to find a place at this altar this morning a place of repentance, a place of confession, and a place of salvation. If I told you my story
before we go our separate ways this morning um, there's no way to add to that I just I want to summarize and tell you this there is no pit so deep that God's not deeper still there's no bondage so great that God's freedom is not stronger still there's no guilt so deep that God's righteousness is not stronger still and I appreciate Ken telling us this story see When you have a guest speaker come,